Let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb. In April of this year, residents of the city of Mascaro in Colombia, South America, woke up to discover a cloud of toxic foam had descended upon their city. Pollution and chemicals had been dumped in the local river, combined with heavy rainfall, had produced toxic foam, and it was foul-smelling. It descended on mascara like a blanket. Within hours, the toxic foam was everywhere. You couldn't escape from it. It clung to buildings. It destroyed property. It even blocked the road to a school. Shopkeeper Louis Romero remarked that customers were driven away by the stench. This foam affects everything, he said. The foam falls and everything rots. People tried to run away, but there was nowhere to go. The foam was in the city, in the air, on the road, and there was only one solution to getting rid of the toxic foam. The people of Mascaro had to clean it up at the source. So the city set to work. They went to the polluted river and began to remove the vegetation that was holding the chemicals and the waste. They cleaned up the source, and eventually the toxic foam disappeared. There's a powerful lesson for all of us in the true story of the toxic foam in Mascara, Colombia, South America. In order to clean up the toxic foam, they had to get to the source. And in order to clean up the toxic areas of your life, you have to get to the source. You have to deal with the substances uh, that are producing a toxic environment. This fact is especially true when it comes to the area of our families. You see, families are like that foam that descended upon mascara. The impact of your family is seen everywhere in your life. Every relationship in your life today is impacted in some way by your family relationships. Family provides the basis for all your interactions. So how you interact with people at school, at work, at church has been impacted by your family. That's why no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how successful, no matter what you achieve in life, if you have a toxic family, you have trouble. For Proverbs 21.9 says, it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in East Airport Hills. In fact, these families are foundational. And if you don't deal with family issues, they will chase you and block your destiny. You have to get to the source to clean up a toxic family. You have to get back to God and let him turn toxic family to a healthy family. That's what we're going to do this morning. But before we do, let's begin by prayer. Father, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. On this Father's Day, we celebrate you. We say to our Lord and God, Happy Father's Day. We ask you today that you will teach us by your divine power. As we submit to you, we resist every work of the darkness that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to speak to us, to help us clean up our toxic mess and help us with our toxic families. We thank you that at the end of the day, this Father's Day will mark a turning point in our homes for your glory and our blessing. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I want to invite you to take a moment and join your faith with mine right now. Put your hand on your chest and pray after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Change my family. 
and manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, good morning once again. Welcome to Agape House. It's great to have you here. As we come back to our sermon series, Toxic, everybody say, it's toxic. We began this sermon series with week one on the sermon titled, Toxic Thoughts. And we discovered there that when you clean up your thoughts, you will clean up your life. That's why you've got to make the mind of the master the master of your mind. And once you've cleaned up your toxic thoughts, you're ready to move to the second area of toxic harm, and that's toxic people. But the fact is the Bible makes us know that the people around us influence. And sometimes we have to love everybody, but some people we have to love from a distance. Can I get an amen? The Bible says clearly, don't associate with an angry man, with a liar, with a gossip, with someone who's divisive and splits churches. The fact is, show me your friends and I will show you your future. The people you listen to influence the direction of your life. So here's the truth you need to remember. Healthy voices promote healthy choices. Which voices are you listening to? Once you begin to clean up those areas of your life, then we're ready for step three. If you missed the first two messages, you can get them on CD after the service or watch on our YouTube channel. And that brings us today toxic families. You see, the fact is toxic families are important to deal with because we need to understand that families are foundational. Now, you may be wondering and saying, but what's the difference between toxic people and toxic families? After all, in our toxic people series, we learned how to deal with troublesome people, so doesn't that apply to our families as well? But here's the fact you need to understand. Some of the principles we learned in toxic people apply to your family. For example, we learned that to toxic people, you have to set boundaries. Sometimes you have to limit how much time you spend with people. Sometimes you can't discuss certain issues with people because they're toxic. And some of those principles relate to some of our family members, but not all of them. Here's the difference. You can't set the same boundaries for your family that you set with toxic people. Now, you may be able to set boundaries with a toxic auntie in the village, but you cannot set the same boundaries between husband and wife. The Bible says you're one, so how can you have a different bank account, a different church, and live in a different continent? The Bible says you are one. And the difference between how you handle toxic people and how you handle toxic family members is not just limited to your spouse. There are times you need to block certain people, but you cannot block your mother and father because you'll violate the fourth commandment. So your family, especially your nuclear family, is different. They have a greater impact on your life, and God has a different set of standards in relating to a toxic family than how you relate to toxic people. So let's learn what those are. And to help us do that, we printed sermon notes. They look like this. They're inside your bulletin, and go ahead and take them out now and follow along as we discover the truth about toxic families. If you're joining us online, you can get the notes free of charge at our website or on our social media sites. There at the top of your notes is a foundational truth. I want us to repeat it out loud together. God is for families. Let's say that together. Ready, go. God is for families. Say it again. 
The fact is, God created families. God is the one who brought families to pass because families are part of God's plan. Think about this. It was God who performed the first wedding in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve and formed a family. When God wanted to redeem mankind from sin, he chose a family in Noah to be delivered from the flood and to carry on humanity. When God wanted to bring a covenant, he used a family. He told Abraham, I will bless your family, and through your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So families are part of God's plan. The Old Testament covenant was with a nation of Israel, which was a family, the family of Abraham. Then when God sent his son Jesus, he sent him into a family. And in the New Testament, we see that this is still part of God's plan. Families are always part of God's plan, and that plan continues with us today. For the Bible says God's New Testament is a covenant, an agreement between us, his people, and him. People from every nation, every tribe, every language, every color are being brought into his Family. For Ephesians 1 5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Everybody shout family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So it's not a surprise that the enemy is out to attack the family. Family is always part of God's plan. God's building a family with you and I, and the enemy is opposing that and trying to thwart it. And because of our sinful nature, it's not surprising that without God's help, we all will be part of a toxic family. If your family is not perfect, welcome to planet Earth. You're not alone. Reminds me of the little boy who was attending his very first wedding. He sat there staring at everything and taking it all in. Finally, he turned to his mother and said, Mom, why is the bride wearing white? And the mother said, Oh, white is a symbol of joy and celebration. The boy thought for a minute. Then he turned to his dad and said, Then, Dad, why is the groom wearing black? And the dad said, Son, first comes the engagement ring, then comes the wedding ring, then comes the suffering. <laughs> Tell your neighbor he's talking about you. So if your family's not perfect, welcome to planet Earth. You're not alone. Just think about this. The very first family God formed, Cain killed Abel. Hey! The family that God chose to deliver us from the flood, Noah's family, was disgraced when Ham exposed and saw his father's Nakedness. Abraham's family, the nation of Israel, rejected God and turned away from him. That's why John 1.11 says Jesus came to his own people and even they rejected him. So I want you to know today that if you're in a toxic family, God understands. God knows what it's like to be rejected, ignored, and maligned by your own people. But the good news is God has not given up on families. Even though the families he created became toxic, he's now out to restore. He's now out to build a healthy family. He's out to resolve this situation and redeem us to make successful families. And he has a plan and a path to do it. If you believe it, say amen. That's why Malachi 2.14 says, God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest 
details of marriage. So understand that the building block of a family marriage is God's plan. He's got it under control. He knows how to make it work. He knows how to turn it around. He knows how to redeem it. He knows the tools you need to build a successful family. So let's dive in and see what they are. And here's your first step today. Successful families are built on lasting covenants, not human expectations. Everybody say lasting covenants. Successful families are built on lasting covenants. The foundational truth you need to understand today is that all families are covenant families. No matter what family you belong to, that family is a covenant family. A covenant is a binding agreement. And marriage, the cornerstone of family, is a covenant. For Malachi 2.14 says, God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride, your covenant wife. If you're sitting next to your wife, tell her you're my covenant wife. When you stand at the altar, nobody said that. God bless you anyway. When you stand at the altar and make your vows, you're not only making a vow to your husband and wife, you're also making a vow to God. But understand today that the covenant relationship in a family is going beyond husband and wife and extends to all the nuclear family relationships. Consider Exodus 20, 12, where God says, you must honor and respect your father and mother. Do this so that you will have a full life in the land that the Lord your God gives you. So God extends the covenant, the agreement, the promise he makes beyond just husband and wife and says it now relates to children and their parents. Not only that, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. God extends a covenant in the relationship of a child to parent and parent to child. In fact, he relates our relationship in the nuclear family to our faith. In 1 Timothy 5, he says, take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Hey, such people are worse than unbelievers. It's getting quiet in here today. So God is saying the health of your relationship in your family affects the health of your relationship with God. Don't claim to be a fire-born Christian when you don't take care of your family. And the health of your relationship with God will impact the health of your relationship with your family. But here's the problem we all face today in trying to live in a covenant family. We all tend to base our relationships on expectation rather than agreement. And here's why that's a problem. Expectations create demand but agreements produce unity. And in order to build a successful family, you have to build on agreement. See, expectations create a master-servant relationship. I expect you to do something, and I won't love you, I won't care for you unless you do it. But agreements are a harmonious relationship, a mutually beneficial agreement in unity. We agree on what will help one another. And not only do expectations create demand, but the other problem with expectations is most often they are not spoken. We don't vocalize our expectations. We assume other parties will understand them. We expect other people to understand our expectations, but realize today that other people's expectations are different from yours. Men and women have different, unique expectations about a relationship. 
take a young man and a young woman who are dating. One day the young man says to her, I love you. And she thinks he means, I want to marry you. Her expectation is a ring by spring. But when the man says, I love you, what he really means is, I want to sleep with you. Who said amen? We assume people should know our expectations, but you cannot assume people know what you expect from a relationship. It's likely that your expectation in the family is different from your spouse and different from your children. Even couples that have been married a long time don't always anticipate the expectation of the others. And when you expect someone from something without telling them about it, you are forcing your dreams and your ambitions and your desires upon the relationship. When your vision differs from their vision, you have division. D-I in the Greek means two, and division means two visions. And differences in expectation lead to disagreements. For example, your mother is always complaining that you don't call her. Why don't you call me? Why don't you call me every day? She expects you to call her, but you expect her to understand that, Mom, I'm busy. And so there's a disagreement because you have a difference of expectation. There's no agreement of how often you'll call her. And here's the problem. We often agree on principles, but we don't agree on the practical implementation of our expectations. We stand at the altar and promise to love, honor, and cherish. But what does that mean? As we say, the devil is in the details. And when you leave the details to your expectation and imagination, the devil is in your family. Take, for example, the husband who was raised in a family where the mother cooked every single meal every day. They never had takeaway. They never ate out. The mother always cooked. And so when he gets married, he expects his wife to do what? Cook every day. But she was raised in a home where the mother was a busy executive, and they often ordered Papa's pizza. Amen. And so when he gets into the marriage, he expects her to cook. She expects him to understand she's busy and order Papa's pizza. And he says, I expect you to cook for me. But in her family, that wasn't the way it was. So she says, we don't have any agreement that I will cook for you. That's not in The wedding vows. The wedding vows are an agreement to love, honor, and cherish, but what does that mean? In the interpretation, we get into trouble. Expectations enter in. For a lot of people, when we say at the altar, I take you as my spouse, it's usually interpreted as I take from you. The husband says, I expect you to sleep with me whenever I want. The wife says, yes, but I didn't know you'd want it every five minutes. Tell your neighbor who's talking about you. You're laughing because you're guilty. Amen. God bless him in Jesus' name. That's why whenever a family is built on expectation instead of agreement, it produces a toxic environment. But when you have agreement, you have a mutually acceptable, harmonious unity centered around one vision. You both agree. And agreement is needed in every family. So how do we get from expectation to agreement? That brings us to our second truth today. Successful covenants are built on legitimate communication, not lies and evasion. So first, you've got to have a successful family has to have lasting covenant. And that covenant is going to be built on legitimate communication. Healthy families have to learn how to communicate with one another and really communicate, not just talk. That's why James 1.19 says you must all be quick to
to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Turn your notes over to page two and understand what James is saying. He says you've got to be quick. You've got to be eager to communicate. You've got to be eager to engage in communication because communication is a pillar that is essential in every relationship, especially a family relationship. The better the communication, the healthier the relationship. And in order to have a healthy communication in a family, you need to practice what James said. Listen first, speak second. Just say that after me. Listen first, speak second. In other words, don't focus on your need. Focus on connection. You can't grow a healthy family if you're focused on your need to be heard. You can't grow a healthy family if you're focusing on what you want out of the relationship. You have to focus on the relationship first. Now, that's a tough assignment for most of us because most of us want to be heard. Most of us want our way. We want to get our needs met. We like to talk and we want other people to listen. But communication is not just about talking. It's also about connecting. This reminds me of the couple who was having trouble in their marriage. So the wife dragged the husband to the marriage counselor. And the wife said to the marriage counselor, My husband has not spoken one word to me in six months. The marriage counselor turned to the husband and said, Is it true you've not spoken one word to your wife in six months? And the man said, Yes. And the marriage counselor said, But why? Why haven't you spoken one word to your wife in six months? The husband said, I didn't want to interrupt her. So the goal of communication is not just to be heard, it's to connect. The goal of communication should be to connect. And when you focus on connection, you will be successful in communication. When you're successful in communication, the relationship succeeds. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, if we live in the light as God does, we share in life with each other. Understand the principle behind this scripture. He says, if we live in the light, we openly communicate and listen to one another, we will share life. Living in the light equals sharing life. Relationships that are honest and open to one another and transparent share life. The truth is, Communication is vital to sharing life. If you don't communicate, you're not sharing life. You're just sharing space. And there are millions of homes around the globe today that are nothing more than sharing space. The problem for most of us, especially our married couples, is that communication is complicated. We face challenges in communicating because the way we communicate and the amount of communication between men and women is different. For example, most women speak more than most men. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just telling you facts. When it comes to communication, most women are better at communicating in most areas than most men are. And when their husbands don't meet their need for communication, they get disappointed. And when the wife is disappointed, the husband feels rejected. See, men and women are fundamentally different in the way they communicate and how much they communicate. Now, I understand that there are unique differences in individuals. There are some women that are silent and some men are very good at talking. After all, I make my living from talking, so I hope I'm good at it. If you, if you believe it, say amen. But this is not just my opinion. Science backs this up. Sociologists have studied men and women and their communication, and they've discovered this. The average man, the average man speaks 20,000 words every day, but the average woman speaks 30,000 words every day. 
That's 10,000 words more than the average man. That's 50% more. Give a round of applause for all the women. Amen. But not only do women talk more, they are normally better at expressing words. In fact, did you know that sociologists went to a primary school? They went to the playground, the playing field, and they did a study. They examined all the words of the little girls and all the words and noises of the little boys. They found that the girls, 100% of the noises the girls made out of their mouth were words. They were words you could understand. But 40% of the noise coming from the boy's mouth wasn't words. It was sounds like, ah, ooh, ah, hey. My point is not to criticize anyone. I'm not saying that men are better or women are better. I'm simply saying that science has certified that the two areas of the brain that connect to language are bigger in women than in men. And it's proven that women express themselves better in certain areas. So we need to understand that's why, husbands, you can never win an argument with your wife. A woman has the last word in any argument. Anything you say after that is the beginning of a new argument. <laughs> Reminds me of the husband and wife who were arguing about who should get up in the morning and brew the tea. They like to drink tea in the morning. They were arguing about who should do it. The woman said, you should get up and brew the tea because you get up first and then the tea will be ready when I wake up. And the man said, no, but you should brew the tea in the morning because it's your job to do the cooking. You should brew the tea and then I'll, I'll wait for it and enjoy it. The wife said, no, you should brew the tea because the Bible says so. The man said, the Bible said, what, what are you talking about? The Bible doesn't say a husband should brew the tea. And the woman kept quiet. She got her Bible, flipped it open to the book of Hebrews. <laughs> Men, you can't win an argument with your wife. But interestingly enough, there's one thing men are usually better at than women in communication. Men are usually a little bit better at telling you exactly how they feel. If a man is angry, he says, I'm angry. Yeah. Ushers, he's angry. If a man is happy, he says, I'm happy. But women are more nuanced in their expression. That's why, guys, if you go home and you go to your wife and she's not saying anything, she doesn't greet you and you say, hey, how are you doing? And she goes, fine. <laughs> Bruh, she is not fine. You are in trouble. And the dude has no clue. Oh, fine, okay, that's great. And then he notices she's not talking because she normally talks a lot and she didn't greet him. So he says, is everything okay? Yes. And the guy thinks she means it. He turns around and goes, great, everything's okay. I'm off to watch football. Dude, she doesn't mean that. You just have to understand. But maybe you've been here and you say something like this about your family member. I just don't understand why he did that. I just don't understand why she did that. The fact is you don't understand because you have to learn. You have to make an effort to communicate. It's not just speaking, it's thinking as they think. And the amount of love you have will not make up for your need to grow in communication. You have to take the time to understand your spouse. That's why Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. Growing. Everybody say growing. Growing. Everybody say growing. 
growing in every way more and more like Christ. Did you catch that? In your speaking, in your communicating, in your listening, you have to grow at it and become better at it. You won't solve your marriage problem by ignoring them. You won't solve your family problem by communicating. It doesn't come automatically. You have to make the effort and grow at it. In fact, your goal for communication should be just like Jesus. You should communicate as Jesus did. And when you do that, you get unity. That's why verse 25 says, for we all all parts of the same body. Communication leads to connection. And then verse 29 says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Good words, helpful words bring connection. Good words, helpful words bring understanding. When you communicate, you have the power to bring life and death. For Proverbs 18:21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. But just as good words bring a blessing in your home, bad words can destroy it. Proverbs 11.9 says, with their words, the godless destroy their friends. And Proverbs 18.6 says, fools' words get them into constant quarrels. And here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. Not all words carry the same weight. Harsh words linger longer than kind words. You cannot build a relationship with words alone, but you can destroy a relationship with words alone. And not only that, but consider the closer your connection, the closer your relationship, the more critical is your communication. The closer in your family you are, the more important that you be careful with your communication. Unfortunately, we have familiarity that breeds contempt, and the more close we get to someone, we often tend to communicate less carefully. That's why Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So understand, dads, that words are not all the same. The word of a boss or a teacher weighs 50 kilos. The word of a mother weighs 100 kilos, but the word of a father weighs 500 kilos. And harsh words won't make your kids better. Harsh words will make them bitter. Because your kids look up to you. Your kids respect you. And their value and identity in life comes from the words of their father. So in communication, we have to be loving. That brings us to our third truth today. Successful communication is based on love and conciliation, not loose lips and emotion. So here we've got the order. First of all, a successful family is built on lasting covenant, not expectations. And that lasting covenant is developed by legitimate communication. We've got to talk to each other and listen to each other. And that legitimate communication requires love and conciliation. And in order to connect, you need that love and conciliation. So here's the truth you need to pack up take home with you. Love and conciliation turns conflict into common ground. See, there will always be times in your family when there's conflict. It's natural. It's unavoidable. But you've got to understand if you follow the path of love, you will turn conflict into common ground. You won't allow loose lips and emotion to derail your destiny. The problem for a lot of us is we think, if I'm going to communicate, I'm just going to tell it like it is. I'm going to tell them how I feel. But the problem with that is that a lot of how you feel is toxic emotions. And you've got to deal with how you feel before you communicate, you've got to let love and conciliation enter in. That's the admonition found in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you, husband and wife, parent and child, looking to the interests of the other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Communicate like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Seek to hear before you seek to be heard. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Put others first like Jesus did. And when you do, you'll build a family that brings blessing to you, to others, and to God. For I promise you, God will lift you up when your family lets you down. That's why Ephesians 2 says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. Speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ. In other words, a healthy family is a place for love finding. Not fault finding. That's the example Jesus gives to us. See, Jesus came to a toxic family. Listen to his words in Matthew 8. Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He came to his own, his own family, his people, and they rejected him. And when it says he had no place to lay his head, it's not just speaking physically, it's speaking figuratively. When you have no place to lay your head, it means nowhere you rest brings peace. Nowhere that you lay down are your mind and thoughts at peace because of the toxic family around you. But understood that Jesus gave us some other truth in this passage. He said foxes have dens to live in. They've created a place. They've built a place of shelter and safety. And birds have nests. They've built a place of safety. And God tells us you too can build a place, a shelter, a place of safety, a place of love, a place of acceptance. You too can build a successful family. No matter how toxic, no matter how rejected, God can redeem it and turn it around. That's what Jesus did. He came to a toxic family, but he said, I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm going to redeem mankind and bring to myself a family, a family that will live in love forever, a family where we will gather in perfect unity for eternity. It takes effort. When foxes dig dens, they've got to remove the dirt. When foxes dig dens, they've got to remove the stones. They've got to remove the toxic substances to make a way. When birds build nests, they build them from broken branches. And God is telling us here that it takes effort. It takes work. It takes prayer. But when you make that effort, he can take broken branches and build a nest of security and peace. That's what Jesus does for us. You see, when you think about it, you realize that it's no wonder we're all in toxic families because we're all toxic people. In our sinful nature, apart from Christ, we fill our lives with toxic thoughts. We become like our thinking, and so we become toxic people, and toxic people make up toxic families. Love doesn't change that. Physical attraction doesn't change that. Success doesn't change that. Only Jesus can change that. But he can take broken branches and build a home. He can take dirt and rubble and remove it and build a family that succeeds. 
It begins when you understand that families are built on lasting covenant. Agreement is what matters, not expectation. Lay aside your expectations and follow God's principles for a happy home. That requires communication. So stop trying to be heard and start trying to hear. Mix it with love and conciliation. And no matter how toxic your family's been, Christ will redeem it. He will build a healthy, happy home when you base it on covenant, communication, and conciliation. If that's your prayer, bow your head as I pray for you. Almighty Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you right now to acknowledge that on our own, without you, we're toxic people. I am. We all are. We've allowed sin to take hold, and we filled our mind with negative thoughts. And toxic people produce toxic families, families that kill one another, families that shame one another, families that reject one another. But we look at you and your example, and we see that you redeemed your family. You've come to redeem us, that we can be a part of a better family, an eternal family of love. We ask you today that you will speak to us and help us with the families you've given to us. Help us to turn from toxic to successful. Speak to our hearts. Begin that change in us. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God richly bless you. Give the Lord a round of applause today, will you? Amen. Well, I just want to mention a couple of things for you. We've got some amazing resources for you to use in your own family. If you look on your bulletin, on your sermon notes or daily devotional, there's a site on our website for families where you can access relevant content. The site is there on the screen, agapeasgana.org slash family. Check it out. Find the resources for the kids, for the parents, and begin to get involved with that. God bless you. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House, New Testament Church in East Lagon. If you are ever in Accra, we would like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30, 9.30 or 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience. We're here.